Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Best Deal episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about the legendary best deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person executing it. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor possible. Hi, this is Scott Royal Smith. I'm your host for the Real Estate Nerds Podcast, or me and my friends nerd out on everything real estate investing. Um, today, I'm here with my friend Dmitry Fomenchenko with Sense Financial Services LLC. They're a boutique financial firm specializing in self-directed retirement accounts with checkbook control. Dmitry is going to be telling us a lot today about you know some best deals and worst deals, uh, things that he's seen, his experience because he works exclusively with investors. A lot of them happen to be real estate investors. So let's buckle up and hear what we have to learn here from Dave from Dimitri. But I just want to give everybody a quick overview quickly about what it is to have self-directed IRA, which is a control, a solo 401k. I'm going to ask Dimitri some questions because these are questions that everybody has and everybody really should be taking advantage of these types of tax-saving plans if you kind of fit with that. So Dimitri, for Since Financial Services LLC, your company, you guys have been around since what, the year 2000? Is that right? 2010, about eight years now. Eight years. And who are you typically working with? And what type of investors? Well, I think maybe a good place to start will be just to kind of go back about nine years, if you don't mind. And so I can tell just a little bit of a background so that listeners can understand who, yeah, sure. who I'm working with. And so is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Okay, great. So basically, my background is. I'm an engineer by education, electromechanical engineer, but because of past up and downs, I actually was laid off. And then that was, I think, year 2005, I was laid off. And actually, I transitioned into real estate full-time. I was working with local real estate investment firm. And then prior to that, I started investing in real estate. And because I also have experience in conventional financial planning, just conventional retirement accounts. And because of my real estate investment experience and financial planning experience, I actually was given a task to start a department within a company I used to work for to help folks with self-directed retirement accounts because we couldn't find a company that could be a good fit. And I started that and we just started helping a few clients. And then eventually I transitioned into start in a sense financial, uh, just kind of becoming on my own. And that was back in 2010. So the, the folks that I work with is real estate investors, many of them. I also work with just professionals who maybe they do have a day job and they have some retirement funds and they're just not happy with the performance. So they're looking for alternative investment options such as real estate, maybe private lending, Cryptocurrency becoming more and more popular. I have clients like that. But pretty much anybody who has some sort of retirement account and they feel that they're not in control of those funds, because if you're just investing in the stock market, then I'm sure you'll agree with me. You and I, we are not in control. We can't really do much about the future, how the investment is going to perform. But there are alternative assets alternative investment opportunities that can give you much greater degree of control, can minimize the risk, and can also provide you with the increased performance results. Yeah, that's right, right? Because you get more control 
So you can start selecting what assets you want to invest in instead of having somebody else choose for you, right? The big piece of, of checkbook control. So a lot of people have those with IRAs like from the companies that they're with right now. But you could... Can't you create fund like up to like $5,000 a year yourself into your own IRA or other options with the solo 401k, for example, that you can fund if you have non-W2 income? Sure. Well, for those people who are working for an employer and they have some sort of employer retirement plan, such as 401k, 403b, 457, or a pension plan, typically those plans, while you're employed, you cannot touch those. You can't touch those until you leave the company or reach a retirement age. Now, if you have a 401k with the previous employer, then you can move that into a self-directed IRA. As an individual, you can also make new contributions for up to $5,500 per year, plus additional $1,000 catch up for those who are over 50. So there is not much you can contribute in an IRA, unfortunately. There is a limit. Like I said, 5,500. So if you don't have anything, you can start an IRA, just build that up to a sizable account and then maybe consider a self-directing because with $5,000, there's not too many options as far as alternative investments are concerned. But you did mention solo 401k and that's actually what we work with for the most part. A solo 401k is vehicle designed for those people who are self-employed or own a small business. I mean, it can be anybody virtually who has some kind of a self-employment income. Can be consultant, real estate agent, maybe a doctor who works, who has his own practice, a lawyer, pretty much anybody who has income that he's reporting on Schedule C. Then a solo 401k is a great vehicle for those people who are uh, small business owners or self-employed because it enables you to contribute up to $61,000 per year. I mean, that's nearly 10 times more than an IRA. So this is a great tax shelter. And I'm not even talking about that. It can also be self-directed and invested in alternative assets. Yeah, you don't have to do anything special with the uh, solo 401k like you have to do with the self-directed IRA, right? You can just set up the solo 401k and you fund it. You can invest pretty much in whatever you like, right? Well, the beauty of the solo 401k that because it, it is a different plan than an IRA. It is still qualified retirement plan, but it falls under different rules and it does not require a custodian. So what we do for our clients, we basically set up the plan and we set up a trust. And so the client becomes the trustee of that trust that is used as a vehicle to hold plan assets. So there is no custodian, there is no custodian fees, there is no transaction fees, there is no asset-based fees, and the client has a checkbook control over the retirement funds. Obviously, you need to be educated on what you can and cannot do because with the freedom comes responsibility, and that might be another whole topic. We can talk about uh, this for <laughs> hours, probably. I can talk about this. But those people who are interested in qualify for this option, they can do additional research and they can create this vehicle and take advantage of these great benefits that it offers. And that, that's great. So, so with like checkbook control IRA, it, would you say that's equivalent to like if you set up the solo 401k and then the client themselves is also the plan administrator? Is that technically how that works? With the solo 401k, yes. The client becomes the administrator of the plan and our role is to provide all the plan documents. So we keep the plan IRS compliant with all the required plan updates, amendments, 
but the client isn't in control of the investments. And that's what the clients that I work with, that's what they want. They want to be in control. I mean, think about this. You don't really want to give control over your money to somebody else. Now, let me clarify that. Not all of us have the best knowledge about investments and so forth. So it's okay to use the resources. It's okay to use the professionals and the guidance of those people who are more experienced than you are when it comes to investing. But ultimately, you want to be the one making that investment decision. You don't want to give that full control to somebody else. You want to be in control, use the guidance, use the feedback, use the suggestions from other people who are more experienced than you, but you ultimately should be one making those financial decisions. And that's what the uh, truly self-directed solo 401k enables you to do. Yeah, I think that control is super important. I mean, with being able to select your own assets, helps you be able to move in and out deals as you need to. It can take, be time-consuming and expensive if you have to consult custodians and pay separate fees and wait for other people to sign documents. I've seen a lot of people lose deals that are great deals because it just took too long to act on it. In terms of solar 401ks, and you talked a little bit about there, Dimitri, about what you guys will do on an ongoing basis. Can you expand upon that a little bit? I think that'll be important for people to know when they're selecting you to be there to help them with that. What exactly is that that you do on the back end? And then how can they tell the difference between that separates the kind of work that you guys do since that's the ongoing work versus what other providers might do? Sure. Let me try to do it in the compressed version. But basically, when it comes to self-directed retirement accounts, there are three options that are available for people. Three options. And the first one is a self-directed IRA, truly self-directed IRA. Now, what I mean by that is not an IRA that you have at Schwab, and at Schwab might call it a self-directed IRA. It's not truly self-directed IRA because they limit your investment choices. You can't do any alternative investments with that account because you can only invest what Schwab or Fidelity or Merrill Lynch will offer you, and that's related to the stock market. What I mean self-directed IRA is a custodian that does not place limitations on investments, and you can do alternative investments. Now, it's great because you can choose any investment virtually you want, but the downside of that is you don't have direct access to your funds. The funds are placed with the custodian, and you have to always go through the custodian to access your money. So you have to tell the custodian, here is what the investment that you want to make. Or now, if, for example, if you own an investment property in your IRA and you want to pay the bill, such as property taxes or insurance, you have to go through the custodian to request that. They will mail the check on behalf of your IRA and you'll pay the fee every time they do a transaction on your behalf. So it can become expensive depending on the size of your account and the number of transactions you do. And some people don't like that. And that's where the checkbook IRA comes in. And the checkbook IRA, that's I'm talking now about my specialties. I specialize in helping people obtain checkbook control over their retirement account. So when it comes to an IRA, it is a checkbook IRA. That's the vehicle. Another name for it is IRA-owned LLC. So with this setup, we create a special purpose single member LLC that IRA owns, and the client becomes the manager of that. So all the funds from an IRA moved into the LLC's checking account. And now you, as a client, you have total control over that. You now write the check, you make the investment, you take the title to the property in the name of the LLC. But that gives you the checkbook control. And then last option, but not least, certainly, is a self-directed solo 401k. 
And as I mentioned earlier, it is for those people who are self-employed or own a small business without full-time employees. Then this vehicle, it's the best of, of all because it does not require a custodian and it does not require an LLC to get the checkbook control because it's set up as a trust. There is no additional cost. It's not required to be registered with the state. So it's truly an amazing vehicle that is very cost-effective and gives you the most flexibility. But again, you must be self-employed and you must be serious about your future. You must be responsible because you can't spend this money on your own interest. The funds can only be invested. You control it. You have total control over those funds and it gives you a great flexibility. That's great, Dimitri. Thanks for that explanation. And specifically to the, the 401k, the solar 401k, you talked about how there's things that your company has to do every year. I think essentially to make sure that, that it stays in compliance, it, what exactly are those things that you guys will do on a yearly basis? Since it sounds like the client is taking on all the responsibility for like the investments themselves and the bank account for that, what are the pieces that you guys have to do on a yearly basis? Sure. So basically, there is two parts, if you will, or in your mind, try to break it in two components. The first component is the plan documentation itself. Okay. And that's our responsibility. We will create the plan. We will provide the letter from the IRS stating that the plan meets the criteria of QRP with the IRS. And we will handle that going forward as well. So we're responsible for maintaining the plan documents, uh, doing all the required plan amendments updates, and restatements as required by the IRS. Now, the client actually is in control of the investments of the plan. So the client must do just the regular record keeping, which is no different if you own an investment just in your own name. You still have to do the regular bookkeeping and record keeping on those investments. So as a trustee of the plan, you have control over the investments of the plan and we maintain the plan documents. And we also help you being the administrator because it's a new role for you and we have the tools and resources to keep you in compliance with the IRS. Well, that's great. And Dimitri, and for that letter that you have that shows the compliance with the IRS, is that something that you guys have to apply for? Or is that something that just gets reviewed by IRS to ensure what you're doing is, is in line? Like, is anybody... Are you following me? Like what I'm trying to get at? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, it definitely something that you have to apply with the IRS. So we do have the plan that is approved. And we will provide the client with the letters from the IRS stating that their plan meets the criteria of the QRP with the IRS. So yes, it will be IRS approved and it has to be updated every so often. That's great. And if you were an investor and you need to hire an attorney, right, to help you, because I'm sure if you're not an attorney, you guys aren't doing legal services, right? Exactly. We're not attorneys. Our specialty is a 401k. So that's what we do. We don't offer investment tax or legal advice. Obviously, we will help with anything related to the 401k and might give you some guidance even when it comes to maybe certain tax questions or when it comes to investments because I'm myself an investor and I talk to investors daily. I do have experience. It's just I'm not going to give you a professional advice. I'm going to recommend that you speak with a professional that can give you advice that you need, that you can rely, but we can provide a guidance. But when it comes to a 401k, you can totally rely on us in this regard. Excellent. So if, if people came with you that, and they needed some professional legal help with that, then you'd be able to make some recommendations of who they should talk to? If I have someone, I'll be happy to make a recommendation. 
That's great, Dimitri. And I just wanted to get into the weeds a little bit of that with you because these are a lot of the questions that I have people asking me about this. And, and currently, we don't set up any of that kind of services. So I've been referring some people over to you. I don't know if they reached out. But it's great to be able to learn more from you about exactly what it is you guys do and how all of my clients can look to work with you if, if they, they choose to. And is right now, do you think a good time for us to switch over and talk about kind of shift gears and talk about some of the best deal and worst deals that you've seen? I think you said it was a private lending. Sure. That you wanted to talk about? Which one did you want to start with first? Well, you gave me a hint. That's what you want to talk. And I was thinking, what should I cover? And what I want to tell or about my experience, basically, it's kind of two in one. <laughs> this It's two different transactions, but they're related because they're with the same person or the same company. So I can explain that and I think it will cover both. And maybe let me start with the bad deal. Okay, first. Yeah, let's start with the beginning of the bad deal of like, how does that bad deal get born? Yeah, but also so that you're aware, basically, these two deals, they're done with the same person and how it's a private lending deal. Basically, I used my retirement account, by the way, for this, for both of these deals. So I used my retirement account and I was recommended this person and this company from someone that I know very well and respect, investor with good reputation and good experience. And this company, they were offering basically notes, investment in notes. And I made this investment. It was a small note, only $20,000 on a property in Pennsylvania. And the mistake that I made from the very beginning is not doing my due diligence. I did a little bit, but not certainly enough because I trusted the person that introduced me to this company. And that's the reason that I just got too busy and I didn't do the due diligence on that particular property that was securing the note. So I invested 20000 into this property. And then later on, I made another investment on another property for $43,000. So now I have these two notes and they've been making payments about 10% interest on both of those notes. So everything was well for about a couple of years. And then they start running into trouble. They had a bunch of these properties. They couldn't handle them well. And basically, they started making payments later and later. And eventually, they stopped making payments. I reached out to the owner because I knew him. And basically, I negotiated a deed in lieu of foreclosure on both of those properties. Now, the $20,000 property was just a kind of piece of crap. They were supposed to do a rehab on that property and put the tenant in, but they never did that. It was vacant for several years and it was just in really bad shape and I will have to spend who knows how much to, to get it into shape. So they uh, just steal the money then? Like they just take it and say, oh, well, we should do his due diligence and this one, this will be easy money for us to just use for something else? Well, they basically, I lent the money secured by that property. So, I mean, they didn't steal the money. I lent the money to them and I had the collateral, but the collateral was not worth it what I paid for the note. It was basically, so they signed the deed over to me, but I ended up just not taking it. I ended up, I left it to them because I didn't want to inherit that property and deal with all the inherited problems. So this is a deal that went bad. The main reason, again, for those who are listening to learn is you've got to do your due diligence on the property because 
when you invest in a note, when you lend in somebody, there's always likelihood of them defaulting. So you want to make sure that your interest is protected. And so we do plan on the note. It sounded like when you got into the deal is that you trusted the people more than you looked into the deal. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's why I didn't do due diligence because I trusted those people. And so can, can I, I ask you, Dimitri, did you show the, the deal to any of your friends or any other fellow investors to ask them if this is a deal that they would take? I might have discussed this with someone or a couple of people briefly, but not in greater details. Okay. Well, that totally makes sense, right? I mean, you're acting kind of in a vacuum with trust to somebody, and then that's an easy way to have bad things happen in business. And again, that's part of the due diligence. I mean, running this or kind of brainstorming this with somebody else, it will be a part of due diligence. And because I trusted the person, and again, that person that referred me, he did some deals with that person as well, and he got burned also. So it's not the person that recommended me, this guy in this company, but the particular borrower, they just didn't do a good job. So anyways, last money on that deal. Now, let me tell you about basically what kind of offset that last for me is this other note, because this other note was a good piece of property. I lent $43,000 on it, and they signed the deed over to me together on both of these properties. And this property ended up, uh, it's worth about $70,000. So almost $30,000 more than what I paid for the note, what I lent to them. So that covers my $20,000 loss. And now that I became a landlord, because now I own the property, there was tenant in the property, and the property I was getting paid about $350 in, in interest payments. And now my rent is six seventy five. So I almost doubled my income on this particular note. And that well covers the last that I had on that small $20,000 note. So again, this is a, for me, I still end up winning overall. And if you look at these two notes, I ended up winning. But again, for your listeners to learn from this, you got to do a due diligence. And for the note that you actually went through, you they owed they owed forty thousand on it, and the property is worth seventy. Why didn't they just sell the property and pay you off and pocket the difference? Well, because they had the large portfolio. I mean, they had probably as much as hundred properties, hundred of those notes, and they couldn't just handle all of them. They didn't manage the portfolio properly, and they might not have even been aware of the values for all the properties because it does take time to sell the property or whatever to monetize it. And they were just not managing portfolio well. So did, did they, they offer that to you straight out though? Like when you were like, hey, this is my note, you guys are defaulting on it. Okay, we'll just deed it over you in the foreclosure. Well, yeah, the alternative was I would have just go through the foreclosure. I would have ended up taking that property anyways. Yeah. But because... I still had somewhat of a relationship with owner of the company, and eventually he agreed. Eventually he agreed to do a deed in lieu on both of those properties. He signed them over to me. And again, the small one, I did not accept. I just didn't want to inherit all the problems. So that was a loss for me. But the second one covered the loss. I now own that property, or actually my retirement account owns that property, and the income and the value covered the loss for me. So that's the good deal. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you on that one, Dimitri. Like that sounds overall like you're net positive, right? 
what I'm digging into a little bit here is trying to figure out like what it is about this second deal that how'd you recover 100% of the loss? Because losses are typically really hard to recover from that are total losses, right? That allowed that to happen. And I think you're, you're hinting at it a little bit, which is that you had such a strong relationship with the person that was the decision maker and the owner of the company that allowed you to be able to get that big win, right? Because financially, they made like an almost a non-financial decision, right? Because they could have sold the property for 70000 paid you off the note and pocketed the difference. But it sounds like you had a good relationship with this guy. And he's like, well, we're not going to go through that whole process. We'll just give it to you. And I can't really answer exactly why they did what they did. I can't get into their brains. But the bottom line is that my guess is that they just did not have a good handle on what was going on. If they knew the value of the property and if they had a way of selling that and just paying this not off, they might have done it. But my guess is they were not aware of the overall situation and they just didn't have maybe manpower to analyze each particular property that they held in their portfolio. So again, they defaulted on both of them. And after me being persistent, trying to get to them and asking for a deed in lieu, they agreed and they did. They signed the deeds over to me on both of those properties. And as a result, I ended up recovering the loss on on my bad deal. That was 100% loss. Well, not 100% because I owned that note for about three years and I was getting about 10%. So the note, I got money back. So overall, I ended up winning, obviously. But if you just take that one bad property, it definitely was a loss. Not a total loss, but it was a loss. Yeah. No, absolutely, Dimitri. Well, I think that's great. I mean, there's pieces I think that, that you did in here that make a lot of sense to me about being in constant communication with the borrower, being really clear with exactly what it is you want from them. Like, hey, I want a deed in lieu to be able to wrap this up that facilitated you getting the result that you wanted. It's, I mean, I talk to investors all day too, right? 100% of my clients are real estate investors. And I'm shocked to find out about how many people just aren't clear and consistent with what it is they expect and want out of other people or, or people they're doing business with. So maybe that to you just seems like, of course, you would do it that way. Why would you do it any other way? But that's definitely something that I think some people struggle with. So I just wanted to underscore that as saying that's a really good lesson for today's episode about like the importance of just being clear and consistent with what are your expectations one out of other people. Whether that's a deal that goes wrong or a deal that goes right, it can never hurt to do that. So that's all the time we have here today for the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Smith. Uh, where today, we of course, we're here with the infamous Dmitry Omichenko. And Dmitry, if you want to tell everybody how to get in touch with you in case they uh, want to connect, what would be the best way to do that? Well, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can definitely find me on Bigger Pockets, which is the top real estate investment networking site for real estate investors. Or you can just go to our website, which is sensefinancial.com. And sense is like common sense, S-E-N-S-E, sensefinancial.com. And you can find links to all of my social media profiles there on, on our website. Fantastic, Trimichi. Thanks for coming on the show. And for all the real estate nerds, listeners out there, thank you guys for tuning in. I look forward to talking with you uh, guys again soon. Thank you. That's all for this Best Deal episode. And I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. When investments go good, they can go great. Your legendary best deal could be your next one. So keep at it. 
Thank you for joining us. And if you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in those sleeping masses for what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day, and I'll see you again soon.